0: Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Welcome in on a Wednesday morning. We're going to get right to the rivalry. Keenan Peely, BYU, gearing up for the game, meeting with the media. Here's Keenan. Well,
1: obviously, you talked after the game about the tackling and maybe could have been been better. Uh, has that been kind of a point of emphasis in practice the last two days for you guys? And and how much so? Yeah, definitely. Um Definitely been focusing on that and um, just straightening up some of our assignments, I think has been a main focus lately. Uh, Make sure we got the plays down, both those two. I wanted to ask you about uh, Josh Wilson. Uh, How's he coming along? What do you see from him? And does he have any potential? Oh, yeah. Josh Wilson is a heck of an athlete. Uh, He's someone who can stop the run and is deceivingly fast in space. And I think Josh has all the potential in the world to play. And then just one last one, you, uh, what are your feelings? What do you remember
2: about past rivalry games? And maybe what have your brother passed on to you about the game? And what do you expect?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've watched all the games. I was only part of one. That was my first year back in the mission. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's always been a fun rivalry to watch. Obviously, it's been some some down years and, and losing, but we're excited this year to show what we got, show what we've prepared for, and um excited for the matchup. Other questions? I'll ask another one. What has what uh, trajan told you about it? He played in quite a few. Man, he said it's always just been a, a fun game, one he always looked forward to. Um, I remember emailing him on the mission and... He's like, "Hey, it's the game this week, Utah. We got the fans going crazy and on on the internet, social media. So there's a lot of build up, and usually that's what I remember from is just that that build up excitement." Norma and then Jared. Hey, Keenan. So having already gotten 17 tackles just in the first game, how do you? just move on from that? And how do you look to continue to improve? And like, what's the next step for you? Keep doing the same thing. Keep doing the 111th. Um, Those 17 tackles came from um, our team doing their assignments, our D-line holding strong. So just keep doing my position, keep doing my role and trust my teammates to do their role and whatever the outcome is, that's what it is. And we'll be okay. And have you done anything differently over the off season to kind of prepare for this jump in production? Uh, For me, mentally, has been my focus this offseason. Obviously, getting physically stronger, but uh, to try to understand the game a little more, learn the offense. I understood my defense assignment, but how that kind of relates to what the offense is going to do, wanting to do. So, yeah, I'd say the mental side has, has helped me a little bit. Kenan, you talked after the game and even now you we were talking about tackling. I wanted to ask about the short passing game. Arizona got a lot of yards off of those
3: and a lot of it, like you mentioned, was because you weren't able to rally to the ball quick enough or they
4: were able to make guys miss. How do you address that? What needs to happen to to minimize those gains?
1: Yeah, simply rally up, you know. Um, it's usually a good sign if, if a team is throwing those check downs, throwing it into the flats, and we just got to rally up faster. Trust each other, keep them in advice, the and and get the job done. Really, awesome. We'll go, Mitch. Last question.
5: Yeah, Keenan. Uh, if, if memory serves me right, when you were coming out of Timview, both BYU and Utah, uh, obviously BYU, but Utah also offered you too. Um, how how close was the recruitment for for you when you were coming out of high school? Was was BYU always the place, or was it kind of a torn situation between BYU and Utah?
1: Yeah, I, at one point it was definitely close i'd say but um when it came down to it i understood this where i needed to be this where i wanted to be and that this university had what i wanted but yeah i can't lie and say that it wasn't close at, at one point in my recruitment
5: and, and you know one of the things
1: with this rivalry
5: is that it's just so close in proximity uh you know with without close the two schools are do you have any connections with either the coaches or players at utah currently that uh that you'll see coming up on Saturday night?
1: Um, not so much. Uh, maybe some coaches through recruiting. Obviously I know Britton Covey from high school. He was my quarterback, so and Devin Kafusi, who is also here. Some of those guys who are now on the team. There's the Cougars, Keenan
0: Peely. Now Here's the youth, Devin Cafusi. Yes, there have been Cafusis on both sides of this rivalry, including his dad, who coached at both schools. Here's Devin
6: on his rivalry memories and the way his family handles it. Um, I had an uncle. My dad's younger brother, Rich. He played there as well. And then my dad, starting his coaching career, actually started up here at the University of Utah. And then, um, and then uh, he took the job uh, to BYU, so he was able to go back to BYU. And that's where you know I've been and grew up, down in Provo. And, um, but yeah, no, it's, it's kind of been split. My dad, um, had, you know, the rest of his brothers play at Utah. Um, you know, we've had cousins come to Utah. Um, the whole BOU push was my, you know, my media family. my older sister playing basketball, two brothers playing, playing football. Um, me over there, my, my dad coaching there. Um, my two other cousins playing there, uh, Isaiah, which got done and Jackson, that's still there. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of been a, you know, that's I I was kind of a, a swinging back to the University of Utah side. And it's been really fun um, coming up here and being in Salt Lake, seeing family, um, hearing stories of family that's been here. Um, you know, my cousin Taliana, she's a superstar on the soccer team. And so yeah, and, and you know all I could think about is uh, where my family came from, starting with my grandparents coming from Tonga. Um, their whole reason was to, you know, have us have a better life here and education was the number one goal and sports was able to open that door for us. And really, you know, me kind of at the end of it right now, you know, there's more confuses to come. Um, but right now it's, you know, I, I, can, I can't help but just feel grateful um, after, you know, my time at BYU, my family being up here, hearing stories of my extended family up here. Uh, I'm just super grateful for, you know, what both programs have, have done for my family and my family. It's super grateful. And all we say, you know, is, you know, football has been good to us, so we'll be good to football. And, um, yeah, we're just – exciting week, really is. Yeah, that was an
4: amazing answer. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys have
2: anything else?
0: You guys can go ahead. Yeah. I'm curious, does the fact that you've had so many family members at both schools really fire up the rivalry, or because they've been at both schools, does it kind of
6: calm it down a little bit? I think a little bit of both. Jeez, um, yeah, that, 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 that's a good question. Def, definitely both in the sense of, you know – For example, when I was down there growing up, if you're a U fan, um, seeing cousins up here play, you know, you you cheer for them. It's family. Um, But you know, when you're when you're in it, um, you know, like me up here, like we just want to win. It's it's all about winning, you know, week to week, Uh, and especially just for the seniors and stuff, we want to send them off on our right senior year um, compared to last year, and um, send them off with a win down at Lavelle Edwards. but, yeah, just fired up. You know, as a kid, I, you know, I was thinking to myself, you know, 10-year-old me would, wouldn't believe where I'm at right now. <laughs> um, but, yeah, a lot of good memories in that stadium. And, um, you know, it's been a good time here.
0: So I assume you watched the Arizona game with yes. BYU. Yes. What, did, what did you think of the Cougars, the way they played, and what what that means for your game with them?
6: Um, you know, it, was, it was a big game, you know, for first game, yeah. Um, Coming off the season they had last year, um, they're in a you know a, a better situation than most most teams across the nation last year, and so um, you know being able to see them uh, do what they do, for me I, you know I, I'm kind of watching as as a fan, as some close friends, and like I said, some family over there still, so I was just really happy to see um, you know guys stay healthy and, and play, and that's what I was telling them. I was like, hey, just um, I get you know, can't wait to see you when, when I'm on the other side.
5: And you was only wearing BYU here then.
6: Yeah. No, I was – you know, it's funny because my brothers – we have photos of us, you know, little here up at University of Utah. I was too little to really understand. Um, but, you know, we have, we have photos of us at Coach Max kids' camp and stuff, my my siblings and everything. Um, I think my brother, he has a photo of him on with Steve Smith when Steve Smith played here at Bronson when he was little. Um, and then just like, you know, with my uncle Jason coming through and Henry and Doug um, – but then, me, you know, Pro you know, when we moved, I was about five years old and I was BYU through and through. And then a little Utah came into my life when, when Britt committed there in high school. And so, um, but yeah, it, it's, it's been an interesting growing up. I've been lucky and fortunate to grow up so close to both programs and, and have their influence on me. What's the first rivalry game you remember? First rivalry game I remember. Um, I think it was the first one. I don't think it was overtime. It might have been overtime. At Lavelle Edwards, what was it Ratliff came in and started, at quarterback for the Utes. And I, I, I think I remember that one. I think, yeah, the last play or something, Um mm-hmm. dropped pass in the end zone, a diving a diving attempt at it, BYU did. Uh, that was the first one. I really remember, um, you know, back to Harleen. I was praying my guts out here in Rice Cycles <laughs> as a little kid. Um, I remember my mom, you know, viewing Utah fans and especially being a you know, coach's family, you know, there's a really hostile. My mom said, that's it. Uh, no more rivalry games for you. You know, I was getting hostile. People that's my dad out there and stuff, just, just all for that. I remember, you know, um, as a BYU fan, uh, you know, 4th and 18, so, you know, that stuff just kind of stays in your mind as a kid. And, um, you know, th- th- those are great moments of um, not just um, programs, Um you know, but as sports and as, as kids growing up, you know, I'll remember, never forget those moments. But then, you know, remember tough ones as a kid, you know, I'm talking from it. It was, you know, the 54-10 blowout down, down, to, um, well, that, that, words. But yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of like the real kind of mark of the year for me. You know, football season, you know, New Year's January 1st, but, you know, fall comes along. That's kind of the, how the gear in my life runs off on time. And so.
0: So, do you think Cougar fans are going to see the Kafusi on the back of your jersey and go after you?
6: I think so. Yeah, that's a, we we're uh, you know that's what Coach my players are asking me. Uh, I, for sure, I think you know, I think it's got to be if it's if it's the rivalry and especially uh, me running out there, um, already getting some you know some teased out by close friends and and family and old classmates from down there, and so um, and just knowing how that game goes and. But me and Red, yeah, I'm for sure going to hear something.
0: There's Devin Cafuzi, who's been all over this rivalry. Now, here's Utah head coach Morgan Scalley
7: So first off, just thoughts on your, your defense and, and how you guys played on Thursday in the opener.
2: Uh, this, the issues that we had, you know, the majority of them are technique issues, you know. So good thing is, is that that should improve from week one to week two. Uh, I love the effort with which we played. Uh, I love the takeaways. Would have liked to have had one more, but uh, it was a good first start. You know, the 17-play drive, that was a gut punch. Nice job finishing, but it should never have gotten to that point. A couple third downs there that we gave up that uh, should not have. But um, I love coaching this crew, and uh, we've got good coaches, and it's, it's fun right now. After such a short season last year, is there still a lot of upside for these guys? It's not really a full season under their belt? Uh, You bet, particularly in the secondary. Young secondary that didn't have the, you know, the crowd involved in in, in the games last year. Um, So and that will be a big factor in this this week's game, right? Uh, You give up a play on the road and and you got the fans going crazy. How are you going to respond? You know, particularly because we're we're a man coverage team, and you're going to give up plays. So how do you respond? So it'll be it'll be interesting. But yeah, I, you know, there's a lot of guys that, that played for the first time, that started for the first time, and uh, they're really starting to gel right now.
7: As someone who's who's been around the rivalry as long as you have as, as a player and a coach, is there a, is there more you know uh, of a message you're you're giving your players for this for this particular game than you do any other?
2: Uh, not, not really. I, you know, the, the main thing is that nothing that is said will ever win you a game uh, or lose you game, for that matter. You know, it's what you do on the field. It's the technique with which you play. It's being assignment sound. It's it's knowing schematically where you're supposed to be and then showing up on game day and making those plays. So they're a very good football team. They're very well coached. And if uh, if we don't show up and play disciplined football, it's not going to be a good day. What, what, did,
0: what did you think of their running game and the way Tyler Algeo ran the ball and, and the challenge
2: that presents you guys? Well, it's, it's not only him. you got a quarterback that, that, you know, all of a sudden things are locked down in the secondary and he can take off on you like he did against Arizona. Very athletic uh, Algier is a very powerful back, runs behind his pads. Rarely is the first guy bringing him down. Um, they've got good offensive linemen, good tight ends that block. So, you know, it's, it's like any other game that we preach to our guys you have to stop the run. And that's a, that's a big challenge this week. <laughs> Uh, pleased, you know, and, and they know they're not there yet. You know, a couple, you know, few few mistakes, but um, they're continuing to grow, Splitting that time. Uh, I love, you know, the, the, the length causes issues for people with X, you know, and, uh, and Van has got a little bit more quickness off the edge. So they, they present, um, you know, they both have their unique talents, and it was a good first game for them to learn from.
0: Thumbs up. One other thing about their tight ends. Yes. There was a lot of talk about how good they were gonna be. Statistically they didn't have that much of an impact in that game. What did you see on film from them? Either what they could produce or why they didn't because of the Arizona defense?
2: Well, I you know, I don't I don't look at one game, I look at the entirety of, of what they've done. You look at what Holker did to us in 2018. He's a dang good tight end. You look at what uh, Rex is doing all last year—big target, great hands. So they're a threat. And even though it didn't, you know, may not have shown up in game one, they're a threat.
0: Yep. There's Morgan Scally. He has got plenty of respect for the BYU tight ends. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back. Utah Athletic Director Mark Harlan, Pac-12 Commissioner George Kleofkoff. They met with the media, Kleofkoff, touring the Utah campus, uh, seventh of his 12 stops as he tours all the campuses. And he had a lot to say about the way Pac-12 teams are going to schedule going forward. It's going to be different. And if you're looking forward to the LSU and Arkansas series, well, hold on to your hats there. We'll get to that next. Stay with us.
4: It's game week for the Cougars. Break down, down, down. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. The Holy War is here. Kalani Satake and the Cougars look to snap Utah's winning streak at Lavelle Edwards Stadium on Saturday. Your home for the best Holy War coverage is right here on the Zone Sports Network. <laughs> From Monday morning to the post-game press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Good
0: morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Mark Harlan, George Kleavkov, meeting with the media, the Pac-12 commissioner, answering a lot of questions about how the college football playoff is going to be televised. Uh, is CBS interested in the Pac-12, which might mean, you know, really good games in the afternoon when the whole country can see them. What's going to happen to the Pac-12 network? Uh, what does the alliance scheduling look like? And how might that impact, if it does at all, the Utah-BYU rivalry? Here's the commissioner, George Klyovkov, with Utah Athletic Director Mark Harlan, both of them together on the podium. Do you
7: expect the college football
3: playoff going forward to evolve into a multi-network event? I, I think it has to evolve into a multi-network event. Um, <laughs> The the idea that we would have one network who owns all of the postseason rights for college football, I think would be bad for all of college football. We need multiple networks invested in our regular season, and the best way to get them invested in our regular season is to have them owning a piece of our postseason.
0: CBS is obviously losing the SEC package in a couple Mm -hmm. of years. Are they interested in that?
3: I can't talk about what individual networks are interested in, but I'd be surprised if any of the networks, and I've spoken to all of them, Uh, wouldn't be interested in owning a piece of college football. It is the preeminent uh, kind of uh, sports property after the NFL. It's the second most watched sports property, and in a world of um, bundled media services, there's nothing more important than live sports. Do
0: you see the Pac-12 evolving maybe towards eight conference games
8: instead of nine to play more intersectional games with the advent of the Alliance?
3: Yeah, the, um, the North Star for football scheduling for the Alliance, and it'll take us a while to get there, uh, is having eight conference games in each of the conferences and having one game a year against each of the other two conferences. So Pac-12 schools would play, pay, play uh, eight Pac-12 conference games, one game against the Big Ten, one game against the ACC. Uh, one of those would be home, one of those would be away and would switch every year. Uh, But understand that we're respecting all existing contracts and all traditional rivalries. And when you do that, it takes a little while to get there. Um, The only thing that could really accelerate that in the near term is if we came to an agreement with our media rights partners to uh, go from nine conference games to eight. And the Big Ten did that as well. Uh, We could start as early as next year if we got those agreements in place, playing one of those games against the Big Ten.
0: What what is the likelihood that that might happen?
3: I think you'd have to ask ESPN and Fox for us. Um, I think it's a very compelling trade to go from nine conference games to eight conference games and one game against the Big Big Ten. So I think it's likely that they would agree to it, but uh, I haven't dug into that with them yet.
7: When you made your announcement regarding the Alliance, George, the Big 12's future was a little nebulous at the time. They've since made but appear to be some moves. How How do you foresee if those moves are made and adding four teams to become 12 again, that factoring them into the quote unquote power five world?
3: Yeah, so all of those moves are speculative. None of them have been announced yet, and uh, I don't really want to speculate on what they might or might not be doing. I read everything you do about who they might be inviting by the end of the week, but I don't know the outcome of that. Uh, What I will tell you is that when we moved very quickly to make our decision about whether or not to add teams to the Pac-12, and then very quickly to announce the alliance, One of the reasons why we moved uh, so swiftly was that we thought that it would give some immediate balance uh, to the Big 12 and allow them to proceed with whatever they needed to do, uh, because we thought that the vibration that was going through college athletics uh, after it was uh, announced that Texas and Oklahoma were leaving the Big 12 to go to the SEC was not good for college athletics. To what extent
8: did the two of you talk about
3: but by, by the way, are you getting any questions? Yeah, These this, this is the yeah, best.
5: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> to what extent do the two of you uh, kind of talk about the short term and long term visions of the athletic department here at the University of Utah? And I guess how can how can you help Mark kind of achieve that if if that's kind of part of the purview of your
3: conversation? Yeah. Do you want to start with?
8: Yeah. I mean, I think what's what's been great about this visit but previous conversations with the Commissioner and another thing that he did is he had all the ADs come to Las Vegas shortly really shortly thereafter your hire Matter of fact, I don't even know if you were on the clock yet no, that was in it was, June it was in
3: June yeah first start. yeah
8: and yeah. and he just kind of shut the door and and he asked questions good leaders ask questions and he asked us you know what what's the most pressing issues and you know what he heard I think was we shared a lot of common of our concerns as a 12 schools, you know, we, we the challenges of how do we get to the final four and win it? You know, UCLA cracked in this year and win a basketball championship. How do we get into the final four in football and, and win it? And what are all the things? Now, there's a tremendous amount. Some would say 80 percent or if you want to percent on what happens on a campus to make those decisions. But then the conference has a piece to this, too. And so we were able to articulate those those things for him to, to plan when he when he got off and running. So, you know, to have a a commissioner, to have a conference that you were collaboratively together is so important. And when he brought us the concept, and I'm going to give him credit here, I mean, the concept from him on the alliance, I mean, we just sat there mesmerized. I mean, here's a guy who just got started and is coming up with an offensive play in in an unstable situation to really align these 41 schools. And it's already working. I mean, we're already collaborating with our colleagues in those conference and talking about the scheduling model. So it's been set up by leadership and for the '80s to now start looking into it. So those are all the things. To, to, to be a championship level conference, as we've seen in so many of our other Olympic sports, right? which is stunning what we win, but to get these sports going, it's gonna to have to be like this. From the center, as we like to say, and then obviously collectively um, here. But as I told them, University of Utah is honored to be in this conference. Um, it was a special moment for us years ago, um, and having him here is, is, is really cool. It's cool for us student athletes, our coaches, and for myself and the, and the rest of our leadership.
7: And then, Mark, to kind of piggyback off that, you probably answered the, the, the question a little bit. You obviously have some other, you know, games down the line as far as in non-conference It's like, you know, Baylor, Houston, LSU and all that. Are you kind of shifting gears to how you're looking at at the the non-conference schedule moving forward, and does that have an impact on the BYU rivalry?
8: So, to answer the first part of your question, we we don't have an opening um, until 25, and I'll work with Merton Hanks and and that football operations team um, under George's leadership, and say I look at that as that's an alliance opening, and and let's see within those two conferences if there's a like match. If that 's you know prior to the eight one one model or not, we have an opening we 'd like to fill that with an alliance member going forward, if we don 't have the eight one one we won 't be able to do much as i 've said before publicly, you never want to be on the end of a phone call when someone says i'm cancelling a game it 's not collegial it 's not the right thing to do and oh by the way there 's a contract so from that perspective um, BYU, as I've said, it's our it's our rival. Uh, we have a contract out till really 2030. <laughs> That's our schedule over there, um, and we intend to, to honor that, knowing we take a two year break next year. Uh, they're in they're in their chartered waters or unchartered waters that we're going to wait and see what develops, and then they may have things. And Tom and I will continue to discuss what makes sense going forward for for obviously for me for the University of Utah from his perspective. But uh, that rivalry is great for college football.
3: Outside of BYU, Utah has, my understanding is, four Power Five uh, home-and-home series coming up. One of them is against the ACC, sorry, against the Big Ten, Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. And uh, three of them are with the SEC. And I think there's an anticipation, don't know if this happens or not, that if the SEC adds Texas and Oklahoma, that they're going to want to go to more conference games and that some of their teams may want to get out of their longer-term scheduling. So that might be an opportunity, but we're not going to break a contract.
8: Do we have any more questions?
3: Okay,
8: thank All you. much. Right. one more. I was just curious, what about the future of the PAC-12 network, what do you see for it?
3: Yeah, so a uh, couple things about the PAC-12 network. So the first is, I think you have to separate out uh, the production at the PAC-12 network from the distribution so when I look at the production at the PAC-12 network, I've been in sports television for a long time. The quality of our production, I think, is as good as anybody. Really good camera work, really good editing, good voiceover, play-by-play, um, and we also do 850 live events. Um, next nearest conference um, network does a little bit more than 500, and after that, it's a little bit more than 400. So we're lapping our competition, the amount of content that we create, and we create great, great content. Um, where the network lacks is in distribution. That's a real problem for us. And I wanna set our fans' expectations. I've read the contracts. If there was a way to fix that in the next three years, I'd fix it. I don't see an immediate fix to the distribution problem in the next three years. So I'm very focused on the fact that we're the only Power Five conference that owns all of our rights, and that we'll have a unique opportunity three years from now to think about distributing all of that content in a way that balances uh, several factors for me. One is obviously the revenue that uh, that distribution will generate. Second is competitive advantage. And the third is just um, having uh, our content all over the place so that we uh, lift up the conference's uh, visibility. And balancing those three issues is sometimes difficult. I'll give you an example. Uh, We sometimes play games, as everybody knows, at night on the West Coast. We're the only power five conference at least today that has teams in the mountain and pacific time zone so we get paid more to play that game and fill that time slot for our distributors but we trade off uh you know visibility of that game on the east coast where some of the heisman voters and ap voters may be asleep at the beginning of the game depending on their age or the middle of the game and that's a trade-off that we make today to make more revenue We'll be thinking about all of that as we think about how to distribute the content after this three year window ends.
7: I know you also talked about the early kickoffs. Yeah. Um, is that is that something that is going to have to wait to, to come into play after the new, new media rights deal?
3: You, you mean like the 9 a.m. body clock kickoffs that we yeah, sometimes yeah, have? Yeah, like,
7: you know, w- within the conference as far as any conference games that, that kick off.
3: So, uh, so conference games we can control the timing of that. Sometimes, uh, non-conference games that's up to each individual school to schedule that. You're talking about Big Fox. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, the, the
8: that
7: 9 a.m. or, or even just uh, I, I know you guys were talking about you know having earlier kickoffs, have that kind of be a thing rather than always the 8:30, you know, seven o'clock kickoffs. Yeah. Having more of those, you know, earlier in the day.
3: Yeah, I think we're gonna look at all of that as part of renegotiating the media rights when those come up in three years. And what I'd like to have is that balance between obviously driving a lot more revenue, because that's the revenue that we share with the schools, which they use to pay for scholarships, and also having the flexibility. And part of the flexibility is so that uh, when I get to make decisions late in the season, Uh, I get to benefit our teams in football that are lined up for CFP invitations, and in women's and men's basketball, the teams that are lined up for an NCAA championship, I'd like to be able to create uh, better schedules for them with more visibility.
1: George, you mentioned that you've now met all of the
5: commissioners, or the ADs in the conference. I'm kind of curious from what you've seen and what you know, um, what
1: makes Mark kind of like a unique AD?
3: Yeah. Uh, So, (laughs) a couple things. First of all, deep passion for what we do, right? I I took this job because of my passion for what we do for student athletes, and I see that reflected in Mark, and that makes me very happy. The other thing is, uh, eight of the 12 ADs in our conference have been in their current positions for less than five years. So, I think having someone with the hand on the wheel who's done this for a long time, and who's done this in other organizations and other conferences, and has that kind of perspective to think about what we did really well other places and bring that into the Pac-12 is unique and helpful.
0: All right. Well, there's a lot to unpack there, and PK and I will do that coming up in the seven o'clock hour. But we're going to take a break, and when we come back, former BYU wide receiver Dylan Colley, stay with us.
4: Ready, 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 ready game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. Hey, hey, hey. For the first time in two years, it's rivalry week. Kyle Whittingham and the Utes look to make it 10 in a row against the Cougars. As the Utes head to Provo for another showdown with BYU, your home for the best Holy War coverage is right here on the Zone Sports Network. Ah. From Monday morning to the post-game press conference... Nobody brings you better coverage of youth football. You ready? Yeah! The 975 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network.
0: DJ and PK, 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time to talk rivalry game with Dylan Cauley, the former BYU wide receiver. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Dylan, good morning. Good morning, fellas. How are we doing? We're doing well. So I am curious, your takeaway after the Arizona game Where is BYU better than you thought? Where are they worse than you thought? Where are they exactly who you thought they were?
5: I think everything was uh, pretty consistent across the board, right? I think we all thought that there were going to be some, you know, first-game jitters and experiences that kind of, you know, were good and bad. And um, to say one area is worse than I thought it would be, I think would kind of be a level of disrespect, especially only one game in. But I think – Jaron played how I'd expect in a first game. The receivers played extremely well. I mean, I think across the board, the amount of depth there and, you know, guys kind of coming in and out, right, Uh, everyone made an impact where they needed to uh, all across the board. And so so that was big. Um, I'd say the defense, you know, played extremely well. You can tell there is a lot of speed and, and they're extremely physical. Um, which is which is huge and, and huge going into a game like this week so uh, it was a, it was a good game all around
9: you remember when uh, Aaron Roderick first got to BYU I was talking to him one day after practice and he's just talking about the talent level on the offense and one of the guys he singled out i remember this specifically was neil Pau, and he said that neil powell was as good as any receiver he had had at a utah and uh, for whatever reason we haven't seen it to the level that i thought we would see it but we certainly saw it saturday and i believe you were a teammate of his mm-hmm. uh, where do you evaluate his level of talent at
5: yeah i mean neil from the very go, neil's played a lot of football right um he's been around for a minute and so he is a guy who i think originally and the reason we haven't seen it is the same reason that you don't see it from a lot of guys early on is, is that level of confidence and having someone that gives you 100 kind of that belief right um if you don't have a supporting cast like coaches who are going to kind of put their faith in you, right? You you question it. There's the, the confidence barrier. And so early on, there were a lot of things going on, especially with the transition from coaching and things like that. I think Neil knows, and obviously Fess and Aaron have, have trusted him for a while. Um, there were obviously other coaches on the staff who um, I believe inhibited uh, Neil's ability to truly play at 100% confidence. But now that you know, the guys in charge, the guys who have taken the reins have 100% faith in Neil. You're going to see a lot of success come from Neil, and he's truly kind of able to play at the level he's capable of. Neil's one of the most athletic people you'll ever be around. Um, the guy's a phenomenal basketball player. He's an unbelievable football player, right? You saw every facet of the game be played by Neil this weekend, including throwing the ball. Right. Yeah. Uh, which is something he prides himself on, um, deservedly so. And so I think, uh, you know, he's kind of he's kicking the gate wide open. Um, and a lot of that has to do with who trusts him and, and where he stands in the offense as kind of the, the leader of the receiver. Room.
0: I was surprised the tight ends weren't more productive. Do you think there's any explanation for that? Sometimes it's just the way a game goes. There's always the theory that a coach is holding something back for game two, especially when it's a rivalry game. Maybe it's something else.
5: Yeah, uh, to be honest, I, 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 we were having that same conversation in the house this weekend. And, um, you know, between Isaac and, and Dallin and Holker, you have two, and I think I talked about this last week, right? you have two tight ends that are equipped to be extremely good division one receivers, right. To play just receiver, but they're also extremely physical. And I think, you know, um, to say, you know, maybe not showing all of the cards and maybe just ensuring that, Hey, let's get these guys in the trenches. Let's get them physical. I don't think Isaac has had the load in regards to being in the box and and blocking um, experience that, uh, you know, he didn't get much of that last year, right? And so, you know, I think maybe just getting everybody warm um, was was probably a priority and then not having to show as many cards and, and the way that they're going to use them and the ability that they have to use them in the Utah game was, was a big part of it. But to be honest with you, probably my worst take uh, over the last year since we've been doing this is, you know, knowing – you know, giving you a good enough answer on on why the tight ends weren't utilized, um, but those are those are kind of my guesses.
9: So, Dylan, I find what you just said uh, in the prior uh, response fascinating in terms of regard and with regard to Neil Pau, as far as his ability. Plus, you need coaches to believe in you, and uh, that opens up the possibility of guys having talent but coaches not believing in them for whatever reason what would be reasons to believe or not to believe in players
5: yeah i I think a big part of that is the way in which coaches express their trust in players um is very different right that was something to be honest with you that i struggled with in a lot of different areas there was a lot of questions of, of insecurity in terms of who was confident in me and who wasn't Um, for a long time, right? I think if you look at my career at Hawaii, uh, my freshman year, you know, there was questions of kind of confidence, you know, and and obviously coming off my mission and was I doing what I was expected to be doing? And so there was some inconsistent play, right? Especially towards the last half of the season, once coach Chow uh, was let go. And then my sophomore year, um, we brought in Kafenza Hinson, who's I've, who I've talked about multiple times on here, uh, who's now the receivers coach at Oregon State. And building that trust was huge for me, and he put a lot of confidence into me all the way up until I left it to go to, to come back to BYU. And you saw it in my play throughout my sophomore and junior year, and the way I kind of accelerated and grew. So, um, with you know those types of kind of positive reinforcements, and each player is different in the way that they want to be coached. Right. I am a perfectionist. Neil is a guy who, you know, is a perfectionist when it comes to playing the receiver position and being the best on the team. And so, you know, Neil's the type of guy that needs that, that uh, affirmation um, in, in the same way that many, many receivers do. And if you're not getting that or the guy in charge, apparently. Right. And the guy in charge apparently isn't giving that. Uh, it's very hard to feel your worth as a receiver um, because you rely on so much. I mean, it's not just like a quarterback or a running back where it's, hey, I don't need to worry about the center to quarterback exchange. I don't need to worry about just getting the ball handed to me. There's so many other facets of playing receiver where you could be the best guy on the team and only getting a, a target or two a game, right? Because you rely on so many other facets. And so the least people can do if you have a phenomenal football player, if you have an extremely good receiver, the ability to really show them on a regular basis, hey, you're playing great. You're doing phenomenal. I know we didn't get the ball to you, right? But I need you to know that we do trust you. Um, and so that's, a, that's an entire conversation that I think wasn't taking place prior. Um, and now with the guys holding on to the keys, they're doing a, a phenomenal job of that.
0: How much of that comes down to there's someone else that they just trust more and with everything going on, that's where the attention goes. And a quarterback has a relationship with a guy and trusts a guy. And how much of it is the quarterback as opposed to the coach?
5: Well, oh, one, no, this is, that is 100%. And that's why the key part of that is, you know, these are a lot of the things that take place with a best player, right? Um, you know, or a top three guy in the receiver room. Like those top three guys in the receiver room need to know that they are appreciated. Um, and yeah, a lot of that can do with the receiver or the receiver quarterback. But once again, if you're an extremely good receiver, you know that the quarterback is your best friend. And so there shouldn't be any issues with you and the quarterback. Like that is, that is prime relationship. one oh one. there's only two guys you focus on on a daily basis to make sure that they've got, All the snacks, treats, right. Aaron's run. And that is is your quarterback and the equipment manager, right? As long as those two guys are taken care of, you're going to be pretty happy. (laughs)
9: <laughs> so that relationship between quarterback and receiver obviously is very important, as you're referring it to. Romney goes down. The Nakua brothers didn't play. Uh, Kalani comes out and says Monday that he... Oh, I've actually, I actually think he said it Saturday night down in Vegas. I was there. That, uh, that he expects them to play. But in a sense, because... We've already seen the Hall to Pau connection. You think that Neil has a leg up now in establishing the trust of Jaron Hall?
5: And that's literally with the timing. Which Neil's been there, right? Neil's been on part of the team longer than Jaron has, and so you know you're always going to have that anchor. That's what makes transferring so difficult. No matter who you are, no matter what relationships you had. I mean, you talk about transferring into a situation that you thought that I thought, right. Uh, was going to be just absolutely, you know, mixing butter. Uh, you know, a lot of those things don't happen because there's other, uh, other aspects. And, you know, um, and so, you know, to say that, uh, Neil, Neil has the upper hand no matter what in that situation.
0: So, scout the Utes. You probably saw some or all of the Weber State game. What is the biggest problem they present to the Cougars?
5: Can you hear me? Yeah. I can hear you. Yeah, sorry sorry about that. That was weird. Uh, sorry, so you said you asked about the, the Utes?
0: Yeah, scout them. What is the biggest problem they present to the Cougars?
5: Their defense. It will always be the defense. Um, I think athletically, on the outside – BYU meets them um, strongly. I think that there isn't a gap there. Uh, I think that over the top BYU size, when you look at the receivers, um, and hopefully Samson and you know Puka and Neal can all go out there and be a part of it uh, on a more active basis. And I think they measure up very, very strongly, if not better than the the Utah defensive backs. Um, But when we talk about the defensive line and that box with those linebackers, um, you know, I think for 10 years, (laughs) there's been very few teams, especially in the Pac-12, that do it better. And so it is going to be a – it's going to be a tough one, you know, for that offense to be able to get everything together and make sure they're playing at their top top level. I mean, this isn't a – this is – you're playing this game at ninety eight percent. You cannot be that two percent, you know, you can have you're gonna have mistakes, things aren't gonna be perfect, but this is a game where you need to be as close to perfect as possible.
9: Yeah, I think that was one thing that the coaches were extremely com- pleased with the Jaron Hall is there were zero turnovers. So you think now that uh, he showed that he can take care of the ball, he made good decisions there, and I don't, I'm trying to remember, I don't think there was anything close that was a possible interception that went off a of hand or whatnot. It looked like uh, either it was to his guy or it was on the turf. Uh, with that in mind, how much more aggressive do you think that BYU's offensive philosophy will be, knowing that there's a level of trust that Jaron can take care of the ball?
5: Yeah, I, I think it's you're going to see a lot of it. And that's the big, you know, Jaron isn't uh, scared. Jaron isn't afraid. I don't think A-Rod is scared or afraid. I think what you have is a very, very thought-provoking quarterback, right, who is going to do his best to make the right decision. Um, and when you have that and you know you know, the first, the, the biggest part of trust when it comes to selecting a quarterback is, are you going to put us in positions to win or are you going to put us in positions to lose with your choices? Um, not your talent, not your ability, right? But when you have choices, what are you going to do with those? And Jaron will always be a guy who puts you in the best position to win with his decisions. Um, he's cool-minded, right? He's extremely athletic. You can trust his legs just like you saw on Saturday. And so I think they can really they can really open it up. Um, you know, they can they can really open up the entire offensive playbook. I mean, the rest of the season, do you really have anything that you are kind of right or dying on? Right? Yes, you have a ton of big games and you have a ton of big opportunities to go in and to win power five conference games and show that you deserve to be in a power five conference but this game is this game's it. Right? And so yeah, I'm I'm willing to say, hey, let's go in here at hundred and ten percent and make sure we can get this one under our under you know, under our belt and we'll go in knowing that we can compete with anybody the rest of the season.
0: So does so. this does the streak end here?
5: I believe so. I think it's going to be an extremely tough game, and it's going to come down. It's going to be, chances are, a last-second hoorah, but um, I firmly believe that that this streak ends here.
9: All right. That's what I want to hear,
5: brother. (laughs) Now, there's a lot of prayer and a lot of faith going into that and potentially some fasting, but I firmly believe that.
9: (laughs) Well, what's interesting now is you're an alum You're not that far removed, but you are an alum of BYU. And obviously the Kali family, you know, it's we're kind of sort of right there with Kafusi's in terms of uh, the connection mm-hmm. to BYU that runs very, very deep going back many, many years. And so as an alum now, from a different perspective, how much does this streak bother you?
5: Oh, it's bothered me since day one. Right. Um, I am not a... Uh like, I'm, I'm a big BYU fan, right? I, I have been for a very long time. Um, you know, there are, uh, there are very, very few, you know, I'm not like a diehard of anybody or anything, um, but and I try not to let sports get a, a huge portion of my thought process and feelings and emotions now. Um, this will always be something that bothers me uh, until it's broken. And once it's broken, then I will be able to rest easy. And whatever happens after that, if Utah goes on another five-year streak, if they go on another you know, eight-year streak, it's one thing. But we need to break this one because I think this is where this is a wall that's been standing in front of BYU for a very long time. And I think it's more critical than, than people think, uh, especially for the mental confidence of a football team and a program and and where the future lies. um, This is, it's a big one. And I think if BYU wins this game, right, you'll start to see that respect put back on BYU's name when it comes to the Utah-BYU rival. Because the the nonsense of, you know, who's Utah's rival? um, (laughs) uh, You know, and, and trying to think of all the, oh, Colorado and USC and, you know that's that's all wrong, and that's all fake. and I think when it comes down to it, everybody knows BYU is, is Utah's biggest rival, and vice versa. And the only way to really crush all of that narrative is is to end the streak this weekend.
0: Dylan, as always, we appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week and uh, listen to the station for the next day or two, and you'll hear yourself over and over because uh, we've been notified you've already made the promo for today, regardless of whatever else happens in the show. <laughs> Done.
5: That's my goal every week. (laughs)
0: Make the promo. All right, thanks a lot. We appreciate it, Dylan. All right,
5: yep. Have a good
0: day. There's former BYU wide receiver Dylan Colley. When we come back, what is trending, all the headlines next.